Which, fair enough, when you look like Rob Lowe, I think you can do whatever you want. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Style Guide with your hosts Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How you doing today, Dave? I'm doing pretty good today, Steve-O. Uh, and yourself? I'm, I'm super excited. I know every now and then... I don't say that I'm super excited about an episode, but this time I super mean that I'm super excited. Yeah, uh, I'm, I am too. And uh, I've been preparing for this podcast subconsciously for the last two months. I've really been preparing it for my whole life, if I think about it. Mm, that's a good good point. Good point. Uh, so today we're talking about, of course, uh, Mr. Aaron Sorkin and his work. Yeah, his, his vast body of work all the way from his his early days of the American president down to, you know, the Steve Jobs movie. Why didn't you say A Few Good Men for his early days? Was that his first one? I think so. Okay. I, I, I can't remember. I can never remember the order of it. I, I always <laughs> think that the American president came earlier than it did. No, I'm pretty sure uh, it was because he wrote A Few Good Men he got asked to, to write uh, American president. You don't think it's because he wrote The American President that he got asked to write A Few Good Men? No. Uh, no, because why would he have? Never mind. Um, yeah, uh, it was a few good men first. If everyone wants to know, excellent. Well, and and a few good men comes from a play that he wrote. If I'm not mistaken, it is uh, yes. adapted from a play. Yeah, and it run for, ran for like 460 something performances. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the screenplay, I think, was paid for like the movie screenplay before the play even really started. Like, people knew it was going to be such a good play and that they wanted to make it into a movie uh, before it even hit the stage. Well, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin is a genius, so uh, I'm, I'm glad that his genius went recognized so, so easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, let's talk about Mr. Aaron Sorkin. Where do you want to start? So, like that, so, when I said I've been subconsciously preparing for it for the last couple of months, that's because I've been watching The West Wing for the last two months. And, unless I'm mistaken, you've also been taking the, taking the Aaron Sorkin Masterclass. Uh, yeah, so I took the Aaron Sorkin master class uh, in the fall yeah. uh, with a friend, a mutual friend who's so excited that we're doing this podcast. I'm sure he's listening right now, getting really excited. <clears throat> but we took the master class together, and then because of the master class, I decided to watch more Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> See, and that's that's one of the funny things for me. I've I was uh, looking forward to the Aaron Sorkin master class when it was announced because of his vast body of work and how. How much uh, how much time I've spent with I mean the West Wing in particular, but I've watched everything he's ever written, and so I couldn't have imagined starting really with the masterclass and then working backwards. Uh, it's been really great actually he, it, to hear him talk about his style of writing and how he does it, and then going back and watching the West Wing and seeing all the characters do exactly what he told me he likes to do. And not only that, but at the West Wing, there are lines that characters say that he says in his masterclass, like his beliefs, his beliefs on writing. He says, and then they we hear it again. Like like uh, he says, dialogue should be like music, and it's tonal, and there's an orchestra. It's like you know all that. And uh, Jed Bartlett in the West Wing says that at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and Sorkin is one of those writers who is entirely comfortable with repetition. He'll he'll repeat lines, he'll repeat themes, he'll repeat characters from show to show, from project to project, because 
he he sees each thing as its own self-contained story and that he's he's telling telling it again and telling it anew and so you know there there are a lot of sorkinisms that you you grow to love yeah like have you did you watch the american president i haven't watched it in a few years i didn't rewatch it for the podcast Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I watched it the other night. Before we even knew we were doing Sorkin, I got it and watched it because I was curious because I've been watching The West Wing, as I said. Yeah. And watching it again because it was actually the first Aaron Sorkin thing I ever watched because I watched it when I was a kid uh, with my family. Right. And it was like, a, a, well, I guess a kid, you know, a teenager um, on like a family movie night. And all of the characters in The American President are like, are the characters in The West Wing. But that was partially intentional. Like, but it's so funny to watch and see like the the Leo character being played by Martin Sheen in yeah. in the American President, and seeing like the Josh character played by uh, played by Michael J. Fox, yeah, and totally just being like the Josh character. That the the American uh, the American President is in a lot of ways the pilot for the West Wing. Like it, yeah, like the story he tells in the master class about it. Is that he was asked to write The American President with uh, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner asked him to come in and, and write it with him. And so he got super excited about it. And uh, I mean, the, the whole story is Robert Redford was producing it and called in Rob Reiner and Sorkin came and he said he wants to do a movie about a widowed president. And so he shows him like a, a stack of scripts that people had sent in already that he didn't like. And he's like, you could take one of these and rewrite it. And Sorkin was like, no, no, I think I'd rather write it from scratch. Uh, and so he wrote a 300-page uh, screenplay. And screenplays are normally like, you know, less than 120 kind of thing. Yeah. And he wrote 300 pages, uh, which was way too much. And Rob Reiner was like, that's, no, that's impossible. And so he cut a whole bunch of it. And what he cut ended up being the beginnings of the West Wing. Huh. That's pretty great. Well, and, and one of the things that we'll, we'll get into uh, is is how heavy his scripts are anyway like it doesn't surprise me to hear that the american president was 300 pages i no. i'm sure most of his scripts are considerably uh more ink is spent on them than a lot of other scripts yeah i can't remember what he said but he said his are usually more like they're usually like 150 to 200 pages yeah uh when most screenplays are between like 70 and 120 but that's because he writes dialogue which takes up more space yeah, which is the whole reason that the walk-and-talk style was invented by whatever that director's name is. Rob Reiner. Was it Rob Reiner who invented the walk-and-talk? Uh, in The American President is where we see it uh, first, I think. Okay, okay. Actually, no, no, no. Whoever directed A Few Good Men. Okay. No, that, yeah, that, that would have been Rob Reiner. That's where we see Reiner. it first. Yeah. Was it Rob Reiner who did A Few Good Men? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then he asked him to do The American President. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like he was doing it, and one of the scenes was supposed to be in an office, and Rob Reiner was like, "No, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna put this put put more action and movement into it." And then that's where the first like walking down a hallway talking about stuff <laughs> kind of came into be. Well, it's absolutely necessary for a Sorkin script to have that sort of action because the characters aren't acting; <laughs> they're talking, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. and and much of the script is is carried by the weight of their dialogue, but. You're not going to watch a a 50-minute episode of Seinfeld just straight on. Like, it's got to be, there's got to be movement. There's got to be flow to it. There is as much movement, movement uh, sorry, there's just as much music in the, the scene work and the cinematography as there is in the, the dialogue. And so, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, before we get too into his style here, the American president was the first sorting thing I ever saw. Right. <clears throat> and then I think I saw a few good men, but I don't really remember it too much until I just rewatched it for this podcast. But American president was my introduction to Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> um, which is funny. And then watching his master class and realizing that I'd seen Moneyball and the social network and that those were Aaron Sorkins. I didn't even really realize that that was the same guy kind of thing, you know? So American President was my intro. What was your intro? Because you're a Sorkin fan. I am a Sorkin fan. And I think that my introduction was the American President as well. The, the time period in which, like, I don't think uh, I would have seen a few good men. Uh, I mean, my parents would have watched it, and I would have been a bit too young for it to have really struck with me. But I remember my parents watching The American President, mm-hmm. and and I don't I don't remember loving it or, or anything, but I remember it as a as a film. It, it's one of those films for me that that in retrospect stuck with me in a lot of ways, and I think mm-hmm. that's because I came to The West Wing, and then all these pieces kind of come together, and you realize how important other films were for the way you think about stories and that sort of stuff. So The American President would have been my first introduction and then flowing into The West Wing, which I watched when it was on TV and then after again and again and again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because I think my... So that my actual introduction was The American President, but then after that, I think I didn't... I, I mean, I, I again, A Few Good Men, I, I hardly remember seeing it. I just Because I just know the story so well because it's such a meme that you can't handle the truth you know so like i know it yeah so it's hard to know like when i knew that yeah and then for me it was it was the social network and moneyball were the other two that i saw before i even watched the west wing yeah and both the social network and moneyball i loved i loved both those movies and so when i found out that they were sorkin i was like huh i guess i like aaron sorkin and then i watched the west wing and oh actually i did the master class and then I watched The West Wing, and I do love Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> like, I want to marry him. I I bounced around a lot. I came to Sports Night pretty late in in my my watching of his career. After after I think Studio 60 got canceled, I, I decided I was going to go back and, and watch Sports Night. And I think it starts with a laugh track on the show, and eventually Sorkin's like, that's dumb, please, please kill the laugh track. Sports Night? Yeah, Sports Night. We, yeah. And and Sports Night is great. It's a, um, it is a exactly what it sounds like. It is a a team, much like the West Wing, dedicated to putting on a sports show every week. And mm-hmm. it it definitely is leans heavier on the comedy aspect of things than almost all of Sorkin's other work. Mm-hmm. But it is it's a, it's a it's a great show. He, he you see him establishing a lot of a lot of what you're going to see not only in the West Wing and Studio sixty, but in the Social Network and Moneyball and and Steve Jobs. He's starting to develop his style really firmly for television in that and and it, I, I think it's a, a good show even for somebody who doesn't care about sports. Mm-hmm. Like the thing about the West Wing is. I think you need some degree of buy-in in thinking about politics to mm-hmm. to really enjoy the show or or you need a particular lens on politics. I can I can imagine coming to it from a rather right-wing perspective and going this is just a, a liberal fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And 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 hard to watch. And that's what it was called at the time. And and that's what it 
It's kind of what it is. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> definitely is. Whereas sports night isn't that. You don't have to be a sports fan to enjoy and appreciate it. And I may not have been, I don't think I, I was into hockey by the time I started, when I started sports night. So I, I wasn't a sports fan. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And you came to sports night after the West Wing? I did, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I I, um, I I think it'd be weird to watch a Sorkin comedy. Yeah, like a sitcom. Because is is it a half hour? It's a twenty-two minute yeah, uh, and it's it's weird. You're 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 definitely right. Yeah, like is it one scene or something like that? No, no, it's with with, uh, with the amount of dialogue. <laughs> I mean, the, that's the thing about it. You, it, it is as fast paced as as his other stuff, and. And you'll find some of the same dramatic themes that he picks up in the West Wing and, and really nails. He tries them out in in Sports Night. So hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll probably go back and watch some of it. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen Sports Night. I haven't seen the Sunset Strip no. 60, Studio 60 thing. And I haven't seen the newsroom. And surprisingly enough, I haven't seen Steve Jobs or Charlie Wilson's War. Charlie Wilson's War is a great... A great film, if only for Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. Like it's, I, I like the film overall, but Philip Seymour Hoffman is, uh, I will watch anything that he does. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that the thing that I'll say about all of those things that you've missed of Sorkin's is that even including Steve Jobs, which isn't a great film, it's it's not. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with Walter Isaacson's material, like Steve. Mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin went went into it, and he's like, "I'm gonna take this material and turn it into my kind of story." And it it manipulates the the myth of Steve Jobs for sure into something that it's not, but it's still it's still a fun Sorkin film. It's still it has that that same sort of energy that you love about Moneyball or The Social Network, and so it's it's worth it's worth watching if you like Sorkin's. Uh, kind of characters his superhero characters who are doing bureaucratic political political uh, office staff or running a newsroom or running a sports yeah. team sort of characters yeah he, he said he, he in the master class he likes to write super smart characters yeah all of his characters are smarter than him he likes writing smart people it's fun and uh, yeah, I think well. So one thing I just think is funny is he did the Social Network, Moneyball, and Steve Jobs with the three movies he did in a row, which are all based on true stories. Yep. And the Social Network and Moneyball, I liked, I loved, uh, and I never went to see Steve Jobs because I'm pretty sure I'd hate it. Yeah. Just because I already know the story of Steve Jobs' life, and so I would be watching it, comparing it to the real story that I know, and kind of rolling my eyes or scoffing at it. Whereas with the Social Network and Moneyball. <clears throat> I knew nothing of those stories. Like I knew who Mark Zuckerberg was, but that was about it. And then he started Facebook, but I didn't know anything else. So the story was entertaining and fun, and and I can assume some of it was made up and dramatized and ex- exaggerated and stuff. But but uh, but with the Steve Jobs movie, I would just sort of be rolling my eyes the whole time, <laughs> and I don't think I could do it. Yeah, you have too much of a relationship with with him as as a character in that you know about to really appreciate a what is clearly a fictional biography of him. Yeah, like um, uh, the other Steve Jobs movie that came out, which I think was just called Jobs. Yeah, the one with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, and I watched, I think, the first scene of it, and I just turned it off because I couldn't even do it. 
Yeah. Because, and it was so funny to see like Ashton Kutcher doing a Steve Jobs keynote presentation that I've seen. I've seen Steve Jobs do the presentation and Steve Jobs did it better. <laughs> so I was like, I can't watch this. So Steve Jobs, I'm pretty sure I would hate, so I'm just not going to watch it. There you go. Well, you, you, you don't have to, but catch everything else that he's done. But I think, uh, yeah. I think it points to like that, that character type, the Steve Jobs, the Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, Billy Bean, they're all shades of the same sort of character. Mm-hmm. They're all really, they're really smart kind of assholes. Yeah. What I really like about Sorkin is that he starts with these archetypal characters. You see, if you watch Sports Night, West Wing, Studio 60, <laughs> The Newsroom, you can directly map characters onto each other. But at the same time, each character is its own thing. He starts from the same place for them all, but then everything flows from there into something else. So the differences between Will McAvoy in the newsroom, Steve Jobs, Matthew Perry in Studio 60, Mark Zuckerberg, Judd Bartlett, like they're all, the, the differences of them are matters of degree. Mm -hmm. And... And each one is brought out differently by the actor, but they're also brought out differently by the script that he brings to it. But I mean, essentially, they're all these kind of visionary geniuses who are mostly misunderstood in their time. Like that's the... Mm -hmm. And then, you know, look, you look at the character of Toby on the West Wing or whoever Joshua Molina plays on Sports Night or, or Jonah Hill in Moneyball. Like those are the neurotic geniuses who are right, but they're unbearable people. Mm-hmm. I would say I would say you call uh, it wouldn't be uh, Jed Bartlett's the not the smart kind of asshole one, but uh, it would be Josh Lyman. He's the smart kind of asshole. Yeah, one. that's probably fair. Because Jed Bartlett's a really nice guy. J Jed Bartlett is is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like the point isn't that Sorkin is a cliche writer, but he it's that he understands stories to be dominated by types and and he writes those types and he writes those types in the same yeah. way that other other writers will write a kind of story uh the same the, they'll use the same narrative the same the same structure sorkin is writing the same characters and and putting them in different kinds of situations and it appears differently but but i think the the end result is the same yeah that's a good point so something Sorkin said in the masterclass that you just sort of prompted in my memory was uh, when he's coming, when he has an idea for a story, he tries to figure out where it's going to fit. And so the way he put it is if you're in love with the the characters, then it's probably a, a play or a movie. Hmm. If you're in love with the character uh, if, or I think it was which one? One of them was play. And then if you're in love with the story, one of them is a the movie. And then he said, if you're in love with the place, then it's probably a TV show. Huh. And so with something like Sports Night, he was watching sports news and he was like thinking about what it would be like to work at that kind of place and thought it would be kind of cool and fun. And then from that, he was like, oh, that'd be fun to write a show about that place. And then that's where the show came from. And so like The West Wing is about working in The West Wing and Studio 60 on the Sunset Script is about working in a in a, um, a SNL, you know, a, a writer's room yeah. sort of thing. So those are about places in which which makes them perfectly for sitcoms or for for television shows. Uh, whereas something like, you know, Steve Jobs or Moneyball, it's about these characters, so let's make a movie. Because Moneyball, yeah, Moneyball's not about working uh, in, like, the pit at a ba or, like, in the, the executive office of a baseball league. <laughs> it's about this guy changing baseball. Yeah. 
And same with the social network. It's not about working in a tech startup. It is about a guy changing uh, social networks. And so those, because they're about this character and they, what they do, it's, it's a movie. Yeah. Yeah, but he says he always first tries to make it a play. Well, I mean, you know, you 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 start with the thing you know best and and work from mm-hmm. there, you know. Yeah. Mhm. I think I think that articulating it in that that way is such a helpful way for me to think about the West Wing in 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 that there is the West Wing with Aaron Sorkin and then there is the West Wing after it. And the West Wing after it is entirely comfortable walking away from the West Wing itself. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I yeah. So let's talk about the West Wing. Can we just do the whole West Wing right now? Because yeah, I think it. that's that's the most influential work by Sorkin. Most influential, most uh, uh, biggest. It's the one you most. watched. <laughs> it's the one. Well, I th- I'm just trying to think. Is that the one that uh, most people will have watched? Mm, you know what? I that's hard to say because the Social Network and Moneyball were so big. But I yeah. think I you're, I think. Well, we need to devote some time to the West Wing. Yeah, you're right. So let's talk about how great it is. Yeah. Let's talk with Sorkin, because he was there for the first four episodes, and then post-Sorkin, which was the last three seasons. Yeah, the Sorry, first four seasons. Four seasons. <laughs> four, no, first four episodes, and then he was gone. Because the West Wing was, uh, and I'm someone that, you know, I'm not a political scientist. I'm not super into politics. And started watching the West Wing and enjoyed it immensely, even though I'm not, I don't really care much about American politics. Because the characters in the show, and not only that, but the dialogue in the show and how the characters interact with each other is so entertaining yeah. that it does feel like you're you're watching or listening to an orchestra or something um, by how well they say everything they say. Which is the point uh, I wanted to make about his dialogue writing that, again, he talks about in the Masterclass as well, but that he doesn't try to write characters that sound like people. Yeah. Like, you said this before, his characters are always kind of these geniuses. Uh, but, like, he doesn't write characters that sound like people because he doesn't want their dialogue to sound like normal conversation. That's not exciting. He wants it to sound like dialogue and really good dialogue. And so he writes it like music so that it has crescendos and it has a rhythm to it and it has all these wonderful sounds. And that's why there's so much repetition and he intentionally puts in mistakes and stutters so that it has, like, a, a feeling of rhythm to it. Um, he doesn't write it to sound like how actual people talk because that's not very nice. And the West Wing is just full of that. Like people say things that there's no way they'd just be able to just say that and re- recall and remember that information. But who cares? It makes really good dialogue. Yeah, it's in some ways this brings me back to one of the earliest uh, episodes of the Style Guide that we did with David Mamet. Yeah, totally. And, and there, there's something... Mamet wanted characters who felt like real, real sort of workers, right? Like the... Blue collar, yeah. Yeah, the, the blue collar worker. But his characters, they, they might rhyme with what a blue collar worker sounds like, but they don't actually sound like a blue collar worker, you know? No. It's too beautiful, the dialogue. And, and that's something that I think Sorkin really embraces in his writing. He's just like, I want... I want the beautiful dialogue. That's more important to me than some bullshit authenticity. Yeah. Well, and everyone knows they're watching a TV show. Uh, so make it a good TV show. Don't make it <laughs> seem like real life. It's boring. 
why why pretend at something that you're not this is and you know that points to a couple of the episodes of the west wing that i'm like ugh they're terrible because they they kind of pretend that they're 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 not a tv show in different ways and and i think what works so well about those first four seasons is that aaron sorkin is just proudly on display these tv show this tv show these characters and and they, it is a TV show, and they are characters, and so deal with it. Yeah, and we're telling stories, and and guess what? Like, we're just gonna walk down hallways while we get this information out, and you're and you're gonna be okay with it. Yeah, because you want to hear the story, and he's right, we do, and we did want to hear the characters talk. We wanted to hear the the funny jokes they make and the repetition lines they make, like, and it told some great stories. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, pre. Pre, uh, this is so. This is my thing with the West Wing and, and pre post Sorkin because I think you warned me that he leaves the show, right? I did. I think. Uh, I mean, if I didn't, someone must have. Someone must have. Maybe it was our friend Jeff who's listening right now, going like, "I'm so excited they're talking about Sorkin, but they're forgetting so many things." But uh, yeah, like uh, so pre pre Sorkin, I could hear Sorkin in everything. All, all every line was was wonderfully rhythmic and, and poetic, and the stories were all about writing and writers and messaging mm-hmm. and then post sorkin which he led into with the uh with the president's daughter getting kidnapped right uh and all that so it, be, it became like a much more dramatic uh show but post sorkin there's a few episodes in season five the beginning of it maybe the first 10 or so where they're trying to ape sorkin a little bit hmm and you see the like the classic thing that I think of with the West Wing that makes me go, that's a Sorkin thing, is you, two people are talking about something in one room and someone asks a question like, do you know what the average rainfall is in uh, Vancouver? And then they say, and then they give an answer, a perfect answer. And then they, they leave the room. And then the person that just found out what the average rainfall is leaves the room and says to someone else, hey, did you know what the average rainfall was in Vancouver? Like he wants to tell them. And then the other person they're talking to tells them the exact same answer, right? Like per, word for word. So like this kind of everyone knows the exact same thing and they say it in the exact same way kind of thing in different areas. Uh, it's such a Sorkin thing to do. Uh, and in the first bit of season five, you can see them trying to do it, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like Sorkin did it. It's too obvious. You know, like it feels too on the nose. And then they just kind of abandon it and get more into political drama. Yeah, and and I I don't even need to watch that first episode of season five to to get the feel that Sorkin's gone. Season four ends with the episode twenty five, which is about the twenty five twenty fifth amendment to the Constitution. Season five begins with episode seven A W F eight three four two nine. Yeah, <laughs> like the episode title. <laughs> It's now it ends up being like the the case number for Zoe Bartlett's kidnap file or whatever it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And it that's clever, but it's not an Aaron Sorkin title even remotely. His mm. titles have a poetry to them. Like they're they're meant to almost always speak to you in in some sort of way and and knowing them is like this key that that maybe unlocks the episode that title it's just oh look the title is kind of clever Mm -hmm. 
and like I don't even need to see the opening scene of season five to know that Sorkin's gone. The feeling is already there at the very top of the the title. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people will you know debate forever about you know whether the West Wing got bad after he left. And I think it changed. I think undeniably the show is a different show. Definitely. Um, as is evident by the fact that Josh Lyman is the main character of the show from season five on. Yeah, which I liked because I like Josh Lyman's character. Everyone loves Josh Lyman. If you don't love Josh, Josh Lyman, you and I can't be friends. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so, yeah, you're right. Undeniably, it changes. Uh, whether it gets bad is a, a, a personal preference. Personally, I think it didn't get bad. I thought it stayed just as good. But I felt Sorkin's missing was gone. Yeah, I felt that he was gone, and I and the the dialogue of the show totally shifted. And they still did the walk and talks, but that kind of like back and forth rhythmic dialogue stuff that Sorkin does was kind of gone. And we began showing huge story arcs of character arcs, and essentially like what I was saying before, how Sorkin, if he writes a uh, show, it's about the place. But when he writes a movie, it's about a character. It became more like a film type thing. <laughs> like the West Wing, literally, uh, Josh stops spending time in the West Wing. Right? He quits. He leaves. And yet we still follow his character. So it's no longer really about the West Wing. <laughs> right? It's about Josh Lyman helping someone run for president. <laughs> and that's like a very different story. Yeah. Yeah. Well... So you, uh, I was going to say, you remember the episode Drought Conditions? Uh, that's dumb. That's a stupid thing to say. You remember in season six when... Yeah, I remember Drought Conditions. Yeah, Josh and Toby fight, and Josh punches Toby. Yeah. And and that scene is a gut punch to me every time. Like, I... I there, there's a part of me that's like I get a little emotional and I'm a little freaked out because these these people it's it's like mommy and daddy are fighting and and I can't do anything about it and nothing is okay. That I don't think is at all Sorkin. <laughs> like that moment there where mm-hmm. it's the breakdown of the relationship between between Josh and Toby, which in some ways is so fundamental to the show. It seems like it's done because you need to have characters in opposition to each other. You need to have mm-hmm. conflict between the characters. And like prior to that on Sorkin, you didn't have that level of interpersonal conflict, really. Um, yeah, you did, but it was always more subtle. Like It was like just more tension being built between characters and, and pulling for different, having different motives and you know not telling each other things and CJ getting mad and that kind of stuff. But nothing... Nothing that direct. Yeah, like CJ getting mad is a perfect example. CJ's disgust with Josh and Toby and Sam and the president at how the women of Kumar are treated. Like yeah, that, for sure. that's such a Sorkin moment. But well, even like they won't tell they didn't they don't tell her something and then she looks stupid in the press room, yeah. like that kind of thing. Like like there's tension there. Or when Toby knows about Bartlett's condition and he tells sam that he'll be in his office when he's finished kind of thing and there's like tension there like what, what's he talking about and like why is he what's going on so there's like that kind of stuff and the tension between toby and the president you know like there's interpersonal conflict but it's not the focus of the show yeah 
Whereas it becomes the focus of the show in a lot of ways. Like the political drama is there, but there's the interpersonal conflict becomes so important to the yeah. West Wing. Hey, speaking of which, uh, Joshua Molina, mm-hmm. who is uh, Sorkin's, I don't know what to call him, uh, Sorkin's buddy, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Sorkin's, uh, right. okay. <laughs> uh, he's the guy that Sorkin seems to put in everything mm-hmm. from the American president. Was he in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? Uh, I don't remember if he was in that. But he's in like every TV show. He's yeah, yeah he's in, he does everything. <laughs> he comes into the show. Does he come in in season four? Uh, uh, yeah, we see him briefly because him uh, or... Like does he, he joins the cast at the end of season four, right? Yeah, he, he's, he's a full cast member at the end of season four. But he, we see him prior... Yeah, because he's kind of just like a big character running this campaign with a dead guy, and and Sam ends up going and running in that riding, and he disappears. Yeah, like the Cal- is that the California Forty Seventh? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's season four. But um, he comes onto the show to replace Rob Lowe's character, mm-hmm. uh, Sam. And why Sam leaves, I'm sure there's a wonderful story about what happened between Rob Lowe and everybody. But whatever. Um, they get rid of him. He send him to Mandyville, and they bring in. Uh, Joshua Molina's character to replace him as a writer. Yeah. And then in season five, his character ends up becoming the chief of staff of the vice president. Toby's character ends up wanting to have more hands-on engagement in politics and policy stuff and less just writing. Uh, And CJ's character becomes eventually, I mean, like season six or seven, becomes the White House chief of staff. Mm -hmm. And Josh leaves and goes and starts running a campaign. And so the characters that we were following who were all communications people left communications yeah. <laughs> and became politics people. And that, to me, is the, the big, biggest sign that, that Sorgan left the show, is that it stopped being about writers and, and words and became about politics and actions, uh, which, is, which is, to me, like the, the farewell Sorkin, like, we're, you're gone, we're going to do this now, which honestly... And this is where I, I come down, and I think the show stayed good. Is I think that was what the show needed, uh, but but it, it changed. It changed drastically in season five. Yeah, I I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's what the show needed, but I would say that it was a good breath of fresh air. I think I think that the show entirely was capable of going on as it was. I think Rob Lowe's character leaving would have been the start of kind of uh, a broader look at the people around the West Wing and we would see we would see more characters evolving there but we I, I think Sorkin would have been able to take it into interesting places still but I also happen to know one of the reasons why Sorkin was was done with the show was he was writing everything by himself <laughs> like yeah yeah and and that 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 frantic pace can't be kept up so long. So I <laughs> no, definitely not. I I do I think that Sorkin could have could have had ideas that would have continued the show. Yeah, I also think he would have died if he had continued trying to write two or three more seasons of The West Wing. So I I'm glad that that he stopped, if only because then it let us see where else he could go. And it let the show go in a different direction and and play with new and and different things. Mm-hmm. No, so so the reason I say I think the show needed it 
is because uh, any TV show that goes past four seasons or three seasons, I don't know, pick a number, uh, any, t- any TV series that runs for long enough needs to change drastically uh, as it goes on. Otherwise, it, it just starts like it, it just you start treading over the same ground. Right. Yeah. Like I think uh, what's it? What's the show? So like Buffy, not Buffy for sorry, Angel. Yep. Angel did a really great job of changing it over the seasons where they yep. move out of the detective agency and then they eventually end up like in this old hotel that they've taken over <laughs> and stuff. And it's like they they things change so much and it, it grows so far so that uh, so that when you're watching it, you don't feel like you're watching an, just another detective story. Yeah. Unlike the, the television series Castle, <laughs> I'm, I'm referencing some really hit shows here. Castle, which ran for like eight or nine seasons. And after the first four, it's like, okay, how many more times can they be on a case kind of falling in love and him using his writer skills to solve it, right? They need to change it. And they never did. And that's why that show kind of started, got uh, got canceled eventually. And so I think what they did with the West Wing and changing it into this much more dramatic, uh, like the last two, three seasons, two seasons are essentially just the same story, right? The The entire arc of the election? Yeah. Yeah, like it's Josh getting him to run in the primary and stuff, and then, and then season seven is him running for president. Yep. Yeah, so it's like all that kind of big story carries the whole thing forward. Yeah. And I thought it was great. I thought it was a great little story. Now, one of the one of the things that that for me is interesting about that is we've actually never seen Aaron Sorkin need to reinvent himself in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. His shows have never lasted that long. Yeah, because all his other shows didn't go past a few seasons. Yeah, I think uh, The Newsroom got three, uh, Sports Night got two, Studio 60 got one. And one of the one of the things is like that allows him to start off fresh at the beginning, which for a TV show, that works and it's fine. But I think you're right. After a few seasons, the show needs to do something different to to a bring in new viewers, but a keep those who are a, a but b also keep those who are engaged further engaged with the characters. And Sorkin was never challenged to do that. And so, well, I think yeah, I think uh, I think it's a pretty standard thing in Hollywood. If I'm not mistaken, in that TV series, they whoever the creator of the show leaves after two or three seasons. I have no idea whether it's common, but it seems like it is. Yeah, yeah, like uh, it. They get replaced by someone else who just becomes the new showrunner, and then they just run the show for forever. And I think part of that is just because of what you're saying that like Sorkin can't the pace that he's writing at and what he's writing. He's gonna run out eventually, you know, of fuel. Uh, but with Sorkin, he just starts again, and he starts from like the same spot, but with different characters, and then can go forward from there for to a point. And that's why I think, like, yeah, his other shows, they didn't last very long, and they stayed Sorkin the whole time, whereas this one, because it kept going, they had to get rid of Sorkin. Well, it makes me think of uh, our conversation about Firefly, about how Firefly, for its entire run, didn't have a miss. <laughs> like, it yeah. was it was probably the only television show to be a perfect perfect unit because it was only 10 episodes long uh 10 13 whatever it was 13 and 11 Mm, whatever some number i think that also depends on whether you cut the train job in half no the pilot 
the pilot episode is, I think, two episodes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not called The Train Job. Train Job is episode two. Continue. But it's <laughs> it, that is a perfect show because it never had to change. It never had the opportunity to change, and it died out before we could get tired of it. The West Wing, I think, I think you can make an argument that Sorkin really started to hit his stride in season three, and so we didn't have the really the downward arc that I think happens in a lot of TV shows. Um, because he had just hit his peak, and we were, um, we were still eager and loving what was going on. But I, I would be fascinated to see what Sorkin would do with six seasons of a TV show. Because how do you? Mm-hmm. What would he do? I don't know. How would how would you maintain the story? And you know what? Maybe that's as much the reason why he left The West Wing as anything else. It's hard to the energy is hard to maintain, but the, the narrative focus and the difficulty of telling an ensemble story about this this place is really hard to do. Yeah, like it's one of those things with uh, with a show that runs a long time. Like that's not a sitcom. Because in a sitcom you can kind of reset the characters every, every cycle mm-hmm. um, or every episode. But with a drama they change and grow and they have to. Um, so... Uh, prime example is Donna Moss, uh, yeah, who starts out as just kind of like a an assistant character that's sort of a comic relief character, and ends up as the chief of staff to the first lady, yeah, which is a bit of bit of growth, bit of growth for her, and like and is dating and is in love and dating Joshua Lyman, who's the chief of staff to the president. Like that's a pretty crazy story arc if you follow it. <laughs> And so, like, eventually, like, characters have to start doing so much ridiculous things in a show that runs this long. And so you need to give them a story to do it. So, like, Josh Lyman's character, his whole story arc leads him right to where he ends up, and it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. It doesn't feel ridiculous. And so you need to kind of do that with all the characters, which means you have to start focusing on these overarching storylines to get them somewhere, which I don't think Sorkin did very well. Or at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wh- one of the things that I... I love about Sorkin's writing is that his characters uh, are people and have these the, these these backstories and these internal conflicts within themselves for sure, but it it that doesn't drive the narrative. Like one great example is the consistent uh, theme of trouble troubled relationship with fathers on the show. Like mm-hmm. if you pick a character, it's got one. Sam's illusions of his father are shattered when he finds out mm-hmm. about an affair that mm-hmm. happens on Sports Night. Like beat for beat exactly the same Uh tom cruise's character daniel caffey is a lawyer living in the shadow of his lawyer father Mm -hmm. toby's dad was a hitman he was a a mobster mafia member yeah cj's dad has alzheimer's leo's dad committed suicide one of the characters on studio 60's father um resents him because his brother died serving in afghanistan and he's just a comic who tells jokes. Jed, Jed Bartlett lives in the shadow of his father who abused him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Charlie's dad left. Mm-hmm. And then this gets inverted a little bit with Moneyball, where the dad is a divorced but stellar father. But then look at Steve Jobs, which is all about how uh, a messed up father his character mm-hmm. of, of Jobs was. Um, and all of these things are, I would say, they're character arcs that get played and for beats throughout the seasons or throughout the the entire movies that they're in 
but they never drive the show. Yeah, it's always just that character's backstory. Yeah. CJ mm-hmm. references her dad and his Alzheimer's a few times throughout the show, uh, but it's never... They have an episode, episode where she goes yeah. to see him and stuff, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they, it 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 doesn't follow for, for the season. It doesn't drive, you know, everything. That well, and I'm pretty on. sure the episode where she goes to see her dad is season five, right? Uh, that sounds right, yeah. Like it's after Sorkin left. I could be wrong. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So can we, can we jump back? Cause we've hardly talked about a few good men. <laughs> yeah. Which is like his breakout, uh, um, piece of thing, uh, piece of thing. Piece of thing. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Can you hear my baby in the background? Hey baby. Anyway, um, let's talk about a few good men cause I just rewatched it again and it's a, uh, it's a pretty good movie. Although I got to say after watching so much West Wing, it is weird to see Sorkin being done by Hollywood actors. <laughs> you know, like seeing Tom Cruise and Demi Moore try and do some Sorkinisms. Yeah, feels really weird because they act so much. You know, <laughs> you should watch uh, Newsroom a couple episodes just to be like Jeff Daniels, Aaron Sorkin. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll watch. Or Jane later. Fonda. Uh, yeah, like watching Jack Nicholson do a Sorkin bit not not the the courtroom final monologue which which i think is the reason that movie was nominated right it has to be yeah. uh, was because of jack nicholson's monologue at the end there yep. and and tom cruise's how well he yells i want that trial <laughs> it looks like he's gonna jump in the air but uh the earlier scene where he's they're sitting there and he's smoking a cigar and he's asking for the transfer papers oh yeah and he gives them this this monologue about his Harvard mouth and his his uh, um, bad word white uh, uniform, and that whole thing is like such a Sorkin-y kind of reply, like this character just being really clever and insulting. But hearing Jack Nicholson say it, it hardly sounds like Sorkin because it has such Jack Nicholson to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're definitely right. It's it's strange to hear Jack Nicholson be be an Aaron Sorkin character. For me, watching Tom Cruise with the baseball bat all throughout that film, where you're like, wait a minute, he this is, I don't, like, it's a cool character choice, but I know it's a cool character choice because I've seen him do that on Studio 60. Uh, I've seen a character do it with a cricket bat on the West Wing uh, and a gavel on the West Wing. Like, it, it's a consistent sort of theme. And hearing Tom Cruise deliver Sorkin lines, it's it's off-putting. You're right. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's 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 weird. It's just weird to see such Hollywood people doing it. Um, not to say it's bad. It's just weird. It's just weird to see. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't say that it's bad at all. I think A Few Good Men is a fantastic film. Uh, I it, across the board, that film does everything that I want a film to do. It's just yeah. very strange. <laughs> and uh, something else he said in the Aaron Sorkin Masterclass that I thought was hilarious was that he wishes everything could be a courtroom drama. <laughs> because his like whole thing about storytelling and stuff is this like, uh, it, it's all very, very Aristotle and um, poetics, Aristotle poetics. But he also writes a lot about mm-hmm. objective and, or intention and obstacle so uh, your character needs to have an intention that is super clear and that, that like they need, and then an obstacle that is, uh, that is formidable, that is hard to overcome. And then you want to have stakes 
so that they have to do it, right? Um, which it, which ties in with their intention. Uh, so in a courtroom drama, you have a clear intention <laughs> and you have a clear obstacle because, <laughs> like, it's a courtroom. So we all know the, the obstacle is, like, you're you got to get past this, you know, the, the get him out of jail kind of thing. And then the intention's super clear. And you have a jury that sits in for the audience so you can just explain everything to them. <laughs> and so he wishes everything could be a courtroom drama for that reason. <laughs> Which makes it funny that he he has never done a courtroom television show. No, he hasn't, hey? It, it seems like that is, I mean, in some ways, that's a really well, well done, not well done, uh, they're a well-worn genre. There are lots of courtroom dramas on TV, and so why do we need another one? But I, I mean, Sorkin, watching Sorkin do it would probably be a lot of fun. Yeah. But in some ways, like, the newsroom is a courtroom drama. It just happens to take place in a newsroom instead <laughs> yeah, of a courtroom, for sure. you know. Huh. Yeah, that's that's a, a fun little bit from him, that he, he wishes everything were a courtroom drama, because, you know, a few good men, that's a... That's a courtroom drama, faux show. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, and it'd be funny. What would he call it? Would he call it Night Court too? <laughs> yeah, like what? It, what do you do? <laughs> you you can't really follow a judge as the main character because a judge doesn't get the same uh, fun opportunities to really monologue all the time. Yeah, in Canada, what would we call it? The Crown, and you just follow a bunch of Crown lawyers. Oh, gross. Aaron Sorkin, please don't do that project. Well, I mean, I'd watch anything you do, but please don't do that one. What about courtroom clerks, where we just follow all the clerks that work? Yeah, in the, the superhero clerks. <laughs> yeah. I, the, one of the things uh, about A Few Good Men that I think est- firmly establishes what you're going to see in the rest of Aaron Sorkin's work, um, it's that heroic expertise. It's that that obligation and duty that that binds the characters and it's an intense intense patriotism those three things are so fundamental to to Aaron Sorkin's writing and they change uh later on in his career where I would point to his his later films particularly like Moneyball and Steve Jobs and the social network like the patriotism is very different in there but it's still like Moneyball is baseball it is America the social mm-hmm. network is all about this American ingenuity same thing with Steve Jobs so like i think it's still there but those three threads start you you really see them start with a few good men and they never go away in any of his work yeah, and in a few good men, it's uh, the super smart but acting super not smart kind of thing. <laughs> Tom Cruise's character eating the apple and showing up in the office and pretending he doesn't know anything about the law, but he does—he knows everything about the yeah. law, and yeah. he's a genius—is similar to uh, to Mark Zuckerberg being kind of obsessed with like social clubs at the beginning of the Social Network and getting his girlfriend to break up with him and and blogging about animal farm stuff. He's silly, he's dumb college student, but he's super yeah. smart. Well, and and Josh in The West Wing has this great moment where he's sitting down with someone and he's not taking the meeting terribly seriously and then he just starts rattling mm-hmm. off facts about it and he's like, "Do you think I sit down for a meeting and don't know exactly who I'm talking to?" Like <laughs> it, Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's always that yeah. sort of like I do have better things to do, but I take my job very seriously. Attitude. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's expertise. It's, it's 
uh, people who love their craft. I think in the same way that Aaron Sorkin loves the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. And and in in a lot of ways, every character that Sorkin writes is a writer. It just they don't happen to necessarily be writing. Yeah. Hmm. So um, I'm sure you know this fact already, but I'm gonna throw this out there: that the West Wing, uh, Martin Sheen was only supposed to be there for the first pilot. Yeah. And the whole idea was that you'd never really see the president and you'd only see the people that work on the West Wing. But that after the pilot, Martin Sheen was so good, they decided to, they asked him to stay on for the show and he did. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a cool fact? Well, and to to go with uh, an earlier comment on the show, that's one of the reasons why Rob Lowe left. Because in the the earliest version of the show, Rob Lowe was the main character. He was front and center. And when it became more of an ensemble thing, he was less interested in that as a project. Um, Mm -hmm. Which, fair enough, when you look like Rob Lowe, I think you can do whatever you want. But it shows how different the West Wing, the vision of the West Wing was than what it became. Yeah, for sure. Which Which is is a good thing. It is, which is so crazy, though, because in some ways I see the West Wing is just a more polished version of Sports Night. But it didn't start that way. It didn't like. It doesn't seem like it. Like I, I think the shows are basically the same show, just you know, set in different environments. But it, if the way the way that Sorkin talks about the West Wing, it started from a different place. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um. So we we've talked about Moneyball before uh, on our sports movie episode. Mm-hmm. Sports, uh, sports, and uh, Pitch Perfect episode. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. It was sport movies and Pitch Perfect uh, episode, and uh, about how great it was. And I just something was just coming up to my brain that uh, in that movie it wasn't weird to hear Brad Pitt do sorkinisms. No, which is funny that Brad Pitt wasn't weird, but hearing Jack Nicholson do it was, and hearing Tom Cruise do it was. So I don't know if that says Brad Pitt's a better actor, or I just didn't know that it was Sorkin, so it didn't stand out to me in any way. But and I hadn't seen The West Wing yet, but I think it, well, yeah, it wasn't weird seeing him do it. Well, and what's interesting about that is that I think one of the one of the things is that Sorkin's dialogue is so... It lends itself so well to actors who come from the stage or who, who are comfortable as stage actors. But Nicholson has always been that kind of hammy screen actor. Mm. Like that... The character that he plays there is very similar to the same character that he hurt the same character that his his shining character yeah he, he's jack nicholson he's always jack Nicholson. yeah and and i don't think I, I i it's funny to to imagine that jack nicholson would be able to be anyone else's character because he's not even though he's got aaron sorkin's words in his mouth he is 100 percent jack nicholson whereas moneyball is is Brad Pitt, but it's Brad Pitt speaking Sorkin, and it sounds Sorkin-y. Yeah, and Brad Pitt does try to get rid of his Brad Pittiness as much as he can. Brad Pittiness, that's a great phrase. <laughs> yeah, the Brad Pitt, Brad Pitty. Whereas, yeah, Jack Nicholson is just so always, he's like a Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Bruce Willis is like a Jack Nicholson, whatever, however you want to say it. But neither of them is a Keanu Reeves, so it's fine. Nobody's a can of Reeves, not even can of Reeves. <laughs> cool. Anything else you want to talk about? Because uh, you've seen some of these episodes or these shows that I've never seen. Uh, 
Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you for a second. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that I I consistently appreciate about Sorkin is how, how much he loves the ensemble. Um, I, I, I admire that so much in his writing, how he writes a group of people who work together to achieve this, this whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's running a country, whether it's running a newsroom, whether it's putting on SNL every week. It's a bunch of people who come together to do something greater than themselves. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, he also writes Moneyball. He writes uh, The Social Network. He writes Steve Jobs, which are about individuals who are great despite necessary despite you know the people around them who are who are interfering with their greatness despite the the weight of the world and it's so fascinating to see the differences because even though i would point to seeing the same sorts of characters in the social network and the the west wing or studio 60 those are two very different storylines when it's the one genius who can do anything and the ensemble cast that that come together to do something. And and that's always just been fascinating to me because I would imagine that it would be easier, like you would do one or the other as the writer and not not tell both stories equally well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like Aaron Sorkin. I like him too. Uh, one, one of the, <laughs> one of the things. Oh, oh no, sorry. Yeah, I do. I do have a question for you. But yeah, no, 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 shoot, shoot. Because I'll save that for my mm. final thought. Cool. Um, so here's a question for you, because you're more familiar with a lot of his work. Um, and I tend to haven't, I mean, I, I haven't given it too much thought, I guess. But uh, Sorkin writing women. <laughs> that was going to be my final thought. Because <laughs> he gets a lot of criticism for his uh, inability to write women, uh, which I found to be kind of interesting because I almost like, okay, so in The American President, we meet uh, what's her name, Sydney, uh, the the character that dates the president, um, and she's a super smart and capable and amazing woman. So I don't see that as like him writing a bad woman character because she's not just a woman character. The, his romance scenes are weird because mm-hmm. um, the it's like let's do this, Mister President. You're like, okay, but uh, so that, that I, I can see where that's kind of weird. He's bad at writing makeout scenes. Um, but in A Few Good Men, like Demi Moore's character, again, she's like super capable, very smart, really good at her job. What's weird in that one is she's the kind of neurotic one, too. But yeah. Yeah, but like in A Few Good Men, so someone asked him, one of the executive producers on the film, this is a like you can, a trivia thing if you want to look it up, asked him if Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep together, why is Demi Moore's character a woman? And Sorkin's answer was because women have roles other than just sleeping with Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, which to me is like, yeah, so he's writing a nice, strong woman character because why he wanted it to be a strong woman character. Why not? Why does it have to be just a love interest? And so it's almost like part of Aaron Sorkin is like he writes good women and he writes really strong women. And then there's all this criticism that he's so bad at writing women. So is that like... Where where's where is this um, cognitive dissonance or something happening? Like where where is it that he is terrible and good at writing women? And you're more familiar with all of his work, so I don't know what the other characters are like in like the newsroom or sports night and stuff. But but shoot, I think that Aaron Sorkin writes some of the most powerful women that I've seen on TV. 
but he writes terrible, terrible romances. And not not the like the the Donna the Donna Josh romance overall is a great romance, but his romance scenes, his his love scenes are often just atrocious. Because like in the American President, there's some of them that are cringy. Like you just you feel a little uncomfortable watching it. And I think one of the other things is that his relationship to feminism is fascinating to me because I think in most of his TV shows anyway, um, feminism as a, as a topic of conversation comes up in some way. But he usually has the women who are, who are the ones expressing disdain for feminism and the men who are defending it often in a poor sort of manner. Yeah. And I think that, that you could see that as, as, weak, uh, as a weak portrayal of women, but I think that's a mistake because every single, every single character who says those lines, who, who, who decries the, the feminism, uh, the trend or the, the, yeah, the trend towards feminism, they are very strong female characters who, who are fantastic characters, who are well-thought characters, who don't who are independent characters who don't need to be in a relationship with a man to be okay you know um it just every now and then they say something that makes you so that makes you cringe at the the terrible writing of it or the the inability to really understand what a relationship is like so i don't, I don't think that aaron sorkin writes bad women i think he writes bad relationship scenes yeah like he's like He's really good at writing uh, bickering married couples. Yep. Right? And the tension between people who are already married. Yep. And even like the, the lovey scenes between people who are already married, he does pretty fine. Mm-hmm. The scenes between like, like so Mr. Uh, the President and Dr. Bartlett, uh, he writes great scenes between the two of them that I think are fantastic. Uh, he also writes good stuff with Toby and his ex-wife, mm-hmm. Congressman, Congresswoman, uh, whatever her last name is. Uh, I don't remember her last name. Wyatt? No. <laughs> yeah, Congresswoman Wyatt. That's right. I think that is right. Anyway, he writes really good scenes between the two of them and the tension in their relationship. And even writes like some good stuff like when Toby proposes to her. Oh. Oh. <sighs> is that Sorkin or is that after Sorkin? Uh, he's proposing... Yeah, no, that's happening beforehand. He pro... that's, that's happening Wood at Sorkin, the end of yeah. season four. Yeah, because that's a great, great scene as well, right? And it's really heart-wrenching. So those kind of things he writes fine when it comes to relationships and women characters and men characters and show their the, that sort of stuff. But it is the moment when whenever characters seem to fall in love or like make any advance towards sex, basically. I'm just going to say sex. Any advance towards sex. He leads off with the woman character initiating it, which seems like a male fantasy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can... I... I can or uh, in the American president when uh, when Sydney goes to the bathroom to freshen up and comes out in like just the the shirt, mm-hmm. like just a button up shirt and like and seduces him uh, kind of thing, is where it twists over and becomes like like that's a weird thing that I don't know if she would do. You know, like you start <laughs> you start seeing it like a man wrote this scene. You know, and those are the those are the moments when. When they're leading towards sex, that it feels really awkward and bad. So I don't know if it's necessarily romance that he writes poorly, but just uh, uh, 
pickup scenes? What would you call those kind of scenes? <laughs> Seduction scenes? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And some of the, some of the other flirty scenes, like some of the Angely Hayes stuff is Hayes Haynes uh, stuff is Haynes. a little. It, it's it's not great uh, in that regard, but at the same time, like one of the things that I really appreciate appreciate about the West Wing is that. I watch the West Wing and I see Ainsley and Sam having a relationship on that show. Like mm-hmm. when I watch it, I'm fairly certain that they're they're in a relationship at some point during the show. Well, Sam and, and Marjorie are too. Yeah. Leo's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that one's definitely more explicit than the Ainsley one cuz the Ainsley one like you never hear a direct reference to them saying no, sleeping yeah. together, but I'm almost positive that they are as I like <laughs> in the way that it was written and the way that it's acted. And it's, it's a great example of the understated romance uh, that, that Sorkin yeah. is capable of doing. It's when it's that aggressive coming on to that it can, can be uncomfortable. And, and yeah, like he, 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 I think he prefers to write a woman uh, approaching a man than a man approaching a woman, right? To, to, uh, to offer sexy times. And so he writes it from the woman approaching the man. And I, I guess it it's, could be viewed as a, a strong woman making an initiation, but it could also be viewed as a man writing a fantasy. And I think that's where the, maybe that's where the cognitive dissonance comes from. Because when I'm thinking about it, like the romances he writes, like between Sam and Marjorie, that's all fine. Yeah. You know, like there's no, there's nothing in there that makes me cringe. Uh, There's nothing in, like even in kind of the whole would they, won't they thing of, of Josh and Donna, it doesn't make me cringe until later. And him and uh, Josh and Joey Lucas, that whole flirtatious thing, there's nothing really in there that makes me cringe. Yeah. You know, so like he's pretty good with the, the sort of like will they won't they romance stuff. It's just when it comes to that explicit like let's do this scene and he f- switches it to the female uh, propositioning the man. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, where it's like, hmm, come on, Sarkin. <laughs> yeah. But but and well, and the West Wing is a great example. C.J. Craig is uh, a fantastic, strong female character. Abby Bartlett mm. is a fantastic, strong female character. Mandy kind of sucks, but like everyone is okay with that. Like Mandy sucks, and then she goes away on the show. It's great. Even Donna uh, as a character, like her, she's you're right. She's not a strong character in the same sense that she's the the super genius that everyone else around her. But she's still super capable. Yeah, she's a super caper capable, powerful woman. I don't think he, I, I think he often writes neurotic women, but he also often writes neurotic men. I don't think, I don't think that it's... He just writes neurotic people. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I've never entirely understood that criticism of him, is, is, how, is how far I'll, I'll go with it. It, it, mm-hmm. it hasn't been something that makes sense to, to me when I watch it, so. Yeah. No. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, any f- final thoughts? Um, I mean, my I I could do we could do a shadow episode of the West Wing, and I could talk about Studio sixty and Sports Night, uh, and the newsroom, and we could we could do more and more about this. This he is, I think my f- I, I yeah no he's he's probably my favorite television writer. Um, not sorry, not television writer. He's my favorite screenwriter 
these days. Mm-hmm. I hmm. it, it's hard not to appreciate the work that he does. In in some ways, Aaron Sorkin, uh, I admire his work so much that I wish I was a writer more. <laughs> I wish that I had de- I would dedicate myself to a writer, and that is I think the the highest compliment that I can pay uh, someone in that when I see your work, I want to do what you do. Mm-hmm. True. And, yeah. and, and that's how it is for me and Sorkin. I think I mostly agree with what you just said as your final thought. I'm just going to copy it as my final thought. <laughs> Great. Great. Uh, but I'm going to also just add a more specific, I don't know if it's my favorite screenwriter, but definitely uh, writes uh, the best dialogue I've ever heard. Like, it just sounds good. Yeah. Right? Like, he's up there with Mamet in my mind for dialogue writers. Mm-hmm. And even, like, because like, when I think screenwriters, you know, I, like Quentin Tarantino and Wes Anderson come into my brain as well. And they both write really great stuff, too. But uh, Sorkin's back and forth dialogue stuff is just so fun. It's so fun to listen to that I think he writes my favorite dialogue. Yeah. I, th- I think Sorkin... Tarantino and Anderson are the three the three writers working today who make me want to be writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's fascinating about Sorkin is that he is just a writer. He does not direct at all. So he there's no visual style uh, to it. It's it's all dialogue, and that's I think what's even more impressive to me because I love Tarantino's scripts and I love Anderson's scripts as well, but I. But both of those are tied into such a visual thing. It's hard to separate. Them. Yeah. yeah. And, and so for me, that's what allows me to say Sorkin is my favorite writer because that's all that I have of him. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because it makes me think of like when I watch Moneyball and I think I watched it like four times in like a couple of days because I just wanted, I just kept putting on and listening to it in the background because it was so cool and not even really realizing all the sorkin stuff about it when I was watching that movie, but I could just put it on and just watch it. And same with The Social Network. I watched that movie, like, more times than I should have, probably. <laughs> um, just because of the funny little back and forths with Mark Zuckerberg and the courtrooms and all the different court hearings he's in and, like, the whole, like, like all those, the, the, the even the Justin Timberlake scene with the French trombone playing student named Amy. (laughs) Remember that scene? I do. That scene's just such a fun back and forth little rapporteur in a scene that all we're really doing is introducing Justin Timberlake's character. Mm -hmm. But we make all the dialogue in that scene so funny and so clever and so wonderfully back and forth and with lots of repetition and stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's my final thought. I'm going to stop there. Great, great. Well, Thank you for for letting me do this episode, Dave. I know I knew you wanted to do it, but I still have to thank you because I love talking about Aaron Sorkin. Hey, uh, oh, oh, one last question. Uh, what's next? What's next? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take that away from you. Like, <laughs> it was perfect. It was it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs>